Well, that brings a smile to my face. Hope it brings joy to your heart. Welcome to the 11 o'clock service. To you on streaming who've been waiting five minutes, we've had all kinds of joy and excitement in our church today with membership and communion, and we just threw too many things at people, all three services, and so the roast will be all right if we go a little over in this one as well. Stand with me for the call to worship found in your bulletin. This is the good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. This is the good news. Once we were no people, now we are God's people. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Join me in prayer. God of heaven and earth, we rejoice this day that you've revealed your power and love to us through creation, through your marvelous deeds, through your word, but most of all, in your Son, our risen Savior. Thank you for new life in Christ. We worship you today in faith and in hope, in spirit and in truth and ask that Jesus Christ be lifted up and honored in our midst. In his name we pray. Amen.
may be seated. Again, making things a little different today, but we're reading both our Old Testament and New Testament scripture readings. So, first we read from Psalm 119. You can follow along. Starting at verse 41. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. I will speak of your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. Now from the New Testament, the Epistle to the Colossians, chapter 2. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elementary spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. It seems to me that there often is a disconnect between our views of heaven and our views of earth. 
I think there is a, a sense in which we, we live our lives on earth, but we're not really thinking about our lives on earth related to our lives in heaven. Now, I think we have a mindset, if there is, when we think of a connectedness, it is typically a one-way street. We're thinking about the fact that we, we live right on earth so that the day comes, when the day comes, we can live in heaven. And I've been pondering that a lot lately, and I think that is, that is very true. But there's something in my back of my mind that's wondering, is that everything? Is there something else as well that we ought to be pondering as we think about the connection between heaven and earth? And I think that might be why these words of the Apostle Paul jumped out at me when I read them in the last few months. Because Paul writes at the beginning of chapter 3, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And what strikes me about that is that I think Paul is saying that the reality of heaven is not just realized because we live right on earth, but the truth is how we think about heaven affects how we live on earth. Our mindset about heaven has a direct bearing on our mindset about what it means to live for Jesus on earth. And I think that's a different perspective than sometimes we take. I think our initial response to that might be, well, we still have in the back of our minds that old adage that says, we don't want to think too much about heaven because, you know, we know people who are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. And that makes us a little bit nervous. But I would say, if somebody's no earthly good, I don't think they're heavenly minded. Or at the very least, they have a wrong view, a wrong mindedness about heaven. C.S. Lewis says that in his book, The Great Divorce, that when you boil it down, people are in heaven because they want what heaven is about. People are in heaven because the dynamics of heaven, the the very priorities of heaven, the the meaning, the, the very essence of heaven is what they want. And people who are not in heaven are not there because it's not what they want. Because heaven doesn't offer them anything that they want. And it really is the sense that that heaven is about what God wants. And Glenn Stossen in one of his books says that heaven, if you boil it down, the reality of that biblically is it's the realm where God rules fully and his will is always done. I mean, that's what heaven is. That's That's the eternal kingdom of God is that he rules. God is the ruler of all. And everything God desires is done. And the scriptures tell us that that is a place, that is an existence that God has promised to people who want God to be the ruler of all and who want God's will to be done in everything. I think that changes our mindset a little bit about heaven. 
It certainly has bearing, I think, on how we think about how heaven affects how we live on earth. And over the course of the next few weeks, I want to think about, during the season of Easter, think about some of the dynamics of heaven that have a direct bearing on how we live here on earth. And to see how our thoughts about heaven shape our lives here on earth. And I want to begin with this passage that we read this morning from Colossians. And what I find fascinating about what Paul says here in chapter 3 is that it's in the context of what he says in chapter 2. In chapter 3 he says, think about heavenly things. Set your mind on the things, the dynamics, the essence of what heaven is. And be- but before that he says, here's the problem. It's the rules. The problem that you're having right now are the rules. And Paul is saying, I think, that when you think about heaven, you can't be thinking about rules. Because heaven's not about rules. Heaven's about freedom. We get so wrapped up in the rules. And Paul says, it's not about the rules. It's about freedom in Christ. Now, there are boundaries that God has given us. There are boundaries of things like the Ten Commandments, the Great Commandment, love the Lord your God by your, all your being, love your neighbors, yourself, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, I would suggest that the Sermon on the Mount is a pretty good description of what heaven is going to be like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble the merciful. Because these are people, Jesus says, who inherit the kingdom. And there are boundaries, but we don't so much think about the boundaries as we do the rules that we make. And so often, we use the rules to define what it means to be Christian. I was thinking about this a couple of months ago. Our oldest son, John, and his wife are, are getting ready to move into a new home. And, and so they are spending a lot of time preparing it. And they're doing a ton of painting. They're painting virtually everything in the house. The walls, the woodwork, baseboard, you know, all of it. And it's a huge task. And so I've been trying to help as much as I can. I get assigned, typically I've been assigned the, the tasks of um, the preparatory work. I don't know if it's because he doesn't trust me with a paintbrush, but I'm guessing that's probably the case. And I don't blame him. I'm not the best painter in the world either. Um, but I, I'm happy to do that. So, I, you know, there's less pressure, right? So I, I'm putting the putty on the walls, and I'm sanding, and I'm laying tape. I can't begin to tell you how much tape I've put down in that house. I, I wish I'd kept track of the yards. I'm going to guess miles of that blue tape. Painter's tape that I put down. First of all, I put it on the woodwork so we could paint the wall. Then we put it on the wall so we could paint the woodwork. And, and every coat. And I mean, it, it, roll after roll after roll after roll of, of blue tape all over the place. And I remember one day I was over there. I was on my hands and knees taping the baseboard. And I had this thought. This is sort of like, this is sort of like the kingdom. Because the The only reason you use tape is because you're an inexperienced painter. Maybe you'd even say an immature painter. 
You don't have a lot of experience, you don't have a lot of expertise, you don't have a lot of confidence. And so you put down tape because you know otherwise there's no way you're going to stay, you're going to, it's going to end up the way you want it to look. And the more inexperienced the painter is, the more tape you need. If they handed a paintbrush and a bucket of paint to their almost three-year-old daughter and said, go paint, you better hope there's tape everywhere because she's going to paint everywhere. That's just the way it is, right? But it's interesting that some friends come over who helped them, and some of them were experienced painters. And I said to them, do you want me to lay down some tape? They looked at me like, I don't use tape. Oh, okay. <laughs> I get it. No, they're saying, you know, I, I don't need tape anymore. Is it because they don't care what it looks like when it's finished? No, they don't. They just can do it without the tape. And it struck me that... God gives us boundaries because we're inexperienced and we're immature as believers. But the goal is not to keep focusing on the boundaries. The goal is to get to the place where we just naturally do what God wants us to do. And we have the skill. And do we make mistakes sometimes? Of course we do. I love the fact, as I was thinking about that, that I think when God says, okay, here are the boundaries. Now, for the wall, put on there anything you want. You can paint it purple, pink, green, red, or a combination of all that. If you want to paint rainbows on it, if you want to paint birds on it, if you want to paint dots all over it, you paint it. Be creative, and that's a part of God's freedom to us. Yes, there are boundaries, but within the boundaries, there's all this freedom. And God gives us freedom to be creative because he is a creative God. All you have to do is step outside and you see God's creative energy. Look in here and you see God's creative energy. And God gives us the ability to be creative and to be free. And rules are continually stifling creativity. Everybody has to think the same. Everybody has to do the same. Everybody has to, has to process things the same. That's what rules do because we're afraid of freedom. And it seemed to me that my experience in the church, especially when I was younger, is that we tend to turn all that around. When I used to, when, when people would talk about these people have been Christians a long time, they've been they're holy people, sometimes I found that though they made that declaration, nobody was more interested in the tape than they were. And nobody was more interested in everybody else being interested in the tape than they were. Because sometimes people think to be holy is to obey the rules. But the scripture says to be holy is to live in the freedom of Jesus. Because there will be no, there's no place in existence more holy than heaven and the eternal kingdom of God. It's not going to be about rules. It's going to be about freedom. Freedom to to give ourselves away, freedom to be generous, freedom to love, freedom to serve, freedom to, to sacrifice. This is the nature of the kingdom. 
And the call of the gospel is to let Jesus set us free, not to try to figure out how to manage the rules. You know, the thing about rules is that when we, as soon as you put a rule in place, that becomes the focus. Right? I mean, as, as, as teenagers, what time do I have to be home? 11 o'clock. What time do you get home? 10.59 and 59 seconds. Right? It's all about the rule. And, and the rules create an atmosphere in us in which we're thinking, how much can I get away with and still be okay? I think that's Paul's argument throughout his letters about the law. In and of themselves, the rules are good. And with younger children, we need to set rules. But the goal is not to keep people chained to the rules. The goal is to teach people how to live without the rules. And that's freedom. That's the gospel. And it's not holiness to say, I'm the best at following the rules. It's holiness to say, I've been set free by Jesus to give myself away. And I think that's what Paul is saying in the next part of chapter 3 of Colossians. We didn't read all this, but in that part of the the passage, he says, we've got to put off some old rags. You have some dirty clothes that you need to get rid of in order to be set free. And he talks about things like sexual morality and greed and self-interest and selfishness. And he says those things need to be put aside because those things are not freedom. Those things are bondage. Because they will cause you to think, how can I protect what I have? How can I hang on to what I have? How can I do what I want to do? I need to be the center of my life. And that's bondage. And Paul says you take those off and you put on the clean garments of Jesus. And the clean garments of Jesus are not more rules. They are things like patience and gentleness and compassion and mercy. And he says, above all, put on love. Above all, put on love. You see, rules always lead us to a a self-righteous, judgmental spirit. Because the reason we love rules so much and the reason we gravitate to rules so much is because they give us a way to measure ourselves against other people. And we love to measure ourselves. There's something that makes us feel better in being able to look at other people and say, they're not as good at that as I am. And so we create the rules and we tend to gravitate to the rules that we're pretty good at. And we create the rules that, so that we can be better. Isn't this what Jesus is this problem with the Pharisees? Because they, they say, we follow the rules, and they don't. We're more loved by God than they are. We're better people than they are. And because they're so enamored with the rules, they end up saying that Jesus has a demon, and they end up putting him on a cross. I think another problem with rules is that they cause us to be disconnected from people. 
We get so focused on the rules that that's all we think about. And we don't really give attention to people. If our focus is the rules, then we can say, I'm good, without having to listen to people in their pain. Without walking with people through their journey. Without rejoicing with people in their victories and weeping with them in their failures. We don't have, we really have to think that much about forgiveness and mercy and certainly not love because all we have to do is follow the rules and the rules are very sterile. And the rules help us put things in a box and people don't get in the box. And we can pretend, we can think that we're good Because we follow the rules even if we are not caring about people. And Jesus again says to the Pharisees, you know, you you come and you tithe and you do all the rituals and you make all the sacrifices. And at the same time, you are stealing homes from widows. And you look over at a crowd of people who are lost and helpless and you walk away and your heart doesn't feel a thing. No wonder they put Jesus on the cross. Because the reality is, Jesus was the ultimate rule breaker. And freedom scared them to death. Because that's what freedom does. Freedom is rooted in fear. I'm sorry, not freedom. The, 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 uh, the, the rules are rooted in fear. We are continually worried about messing up, about about doing something wrong, about breaking a rule, about people judging us. And so we spend our lives doing the rules, and, and we do it out of fear. I mean, you look at Colossians. The reason that people, these new Christians in the church there are struggling so much is because that those who want to put the rules on them are threatening them. You're not really a Christian if you don't follow the rules. You're not really a Christian if you don't do these things that we say you need to do. No wonder Paul is, says that they, they actually are, those people are following the, the powers of darkness. But while rules are rooted in fear, freedom's rooted in love and trust. When you know the freedom of Christ, you, you want to do the right things. But you don't fear making mistakes. You don't fear taking risks because you know that in that freedom is the grace of Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced God would much rather have us live in freedom and risk making mistakes than be enamored with the rules and in essence cut ourselves off from his Holy Spirit. We get chained to the bondage of rules. When all the while the call of the gospel is freedom. It's not freedom to be selfish. It's not freedom to be self-centered. It's not freedom, I can do whatever I want, nobody else matters. It's actually the kind of freedom that can be generous. Not just think about how little can I give and still be okay with God, but I can be generous with what I have and find joy in that. 
It's not how little can I serve and still get by, but it's how much of a servant can I possibly be to everybody that I encounter. It's not how, how little amount of time do I need to spend with God to check that off the box. But rather, I can never get enough of God's word and of spending time in prayer and in worship with other Christians. Because I know it feeds me. It's the spirit. It's the attitude. It's the perspective that changes. And what we have to understand is that there is freedom in Jesus. Even if it makes us nervous. You know, we... We jumbled up the worship order today. And maybe when you came in, you looked at that and went, what's going on today? And maybe you were thinking, wow, either he's going to preach a long time or you're just going to do things differently. And everybody's holding their, across their fingers. I hope it's doing things differently and not preaching a long time. But quite frankly, I thought to myself, if we're going to talk about freedom, we need to mix it up a little bit today. And break ourselves out of some of the unwritten rules, Right? But you know what's funny is that as we got closer to today and this morning, I started getting nervous about that. <laughs> How's that going to work? What are people going to think? It's just what, it's what we do when rules have been so ingrained into us. One of the things I love about communion is standing here and watching all of you come to the front the streams of people coming to take bread and cup. I love to look into your faces and look in your eyes. And, and I love to, to see you. And I love, and as you come forward, I pray for you and I give thanks to God for you. Quite frankly, that part of communion for me is a holy moment. Just to be able to, to see you is a holy moment for me. But the other part of standing up here, the unexpected sometimes happens and you get to see things that not everybody else sees. And sometimes they just make you smile. Some of the things that go on up here that only a few people see, you know, you you smile. I can't remember if it was last month or the month before on a communion Sunday. There were two grade school girls who was near the end of one of the services. and, And they came down the to the front together. And they, they took the bread and they dipped it in the cup and they ate it. And then they started making their way back to their seats. But what caught my eye was that as they started to leave, they locked arms with each other and they skipped all the way across the front of the church and toward the back. I mean, right here in the sanctuary, they skipped. Right in front of God and all of us. Here they were skipping in church, right? And all I could do was smile. And it reminded me of a story that I, th- I think I may have shared with you before about a pastor who was out with his children on the Saturday before Easter. And he, they were out running around the streets and flitting around like butterflies, and he was thinking about his sermon. That's what we often do on Saturdays. And he was thinking, pondering his sermon. You know, it was a big Easter day and just wrestling with what he was going to say and how he was going to say it and wasn't really paying that much attention to his children. And all of a sudden, they stopped, they yelled at him and said, Hey, Dad! Can you do this? And he looked up and they were skipping down the street. And he said, yeah, yeah, I can do that. And he went back to his thinking again. They said, no, daddy, can you do this? 
He's like, well, yeah, I can do it. And he said, well, show us. He said, I thought to myself, okay, you know, I have a doctorate degree. I'm the pastor of First Church. I got people in my church who live in this neighborhood. Some of them live on the street. You want me to go skipping down this street? Are you kidding me? He said, no, I can't do that. And they did what children do. Put their arms on their waist and said, na, 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 daddy can't do it. What do you do with that, right? I mean, it's a challenge. How do you not accept that challenge? And so he said, I kind of looked around. I was trying to hope nobody was out in their yard. And I did it. I skipped down the street. And he said, you know, I thought about that later. Why did I ever stop skipping? You know, it's easier on your knees than jogging is. You can get some distance pretty quickly with skipping. And he said, it's kind of fun when you do it. And I've been pondering that too. And it makes me wonder if maybe we stop doing things like that because it, it seems childish. And then I remember Jesus saying something like, unless you become like little children, You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And I wonder if maybe, maybe it's not skipping, but it's freedom. And I wonder if there's something in the back of our minds, something deep in the recesses of our minds, that we sort of feel like freedom doesn't seem very Christian. Because we have spent our lives thinking about rules rather than freedom. And quite frankly, the church has told us far too often that Christianity is about rules, not freedom. Somebody once said, I thought about my life in the church. And I think I'd have, if I summarized it in one word, it would be the word behave. And Paul is telling us it's not about the rules, it's about being set free in Christ. Not to be selfish, not to be self centered but the kind of freedom that allows us to give ourselves away. He says, you've died in Christ, so live like it. Live in the freedom of that. Because here's the thing, if, there, if that's how we're going to live in heaven, if, if, if our heavenly existence in the new heaven and the new earth is about freedom in Christ then shouldn't we start living that way now? And if that's what our heavenly eternal existence is about, what's keeping us from doing that now? Holy Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. 
and for the freedom that is ours in Christ. Forgive us for being so enamored with rules that we miss you and we miss others and we miss what it really means to know the freedom of the resurrected life in Jesus. Father, we pray that your anointing will come upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, this will become a table of freedom for us. To experience the joy of the grace of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're receiving communion this morning by the mode of intinction, which means to dip in. As you're released by rows, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Perhaps this is the first time that you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with a desire to live in the freedom of Christ, then come Receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father.
Please be seated. Please join me in the prayer of confession printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed by you. And grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, who through his grace forgives us for all of our sins. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your forgiving grace. And for your desire to set us free in your grace. We thank you, Father, that you have given us in this freedom the ability to care about other people. To feel passion and compassion for this world. We think, Father, today of of people all around the world who are suffering and struggling. And, Father, today we, we lay them before you. We pray for places of war and violence. We think especially of Syria after the attack yesterday. We pray that you would bring peace. We pray, Father, that that you would end the wars and that you would bring healing. We pray, Father, for people who are refugees and ask that you would bring them security and a safe home. We pray, Father, for your church around the world. And we think of, of people, your Christians who are persecuted because they follow you. We think especially of the Christians in northeast Nigeria. For Hantu Solomon, whose husband has been killed and who is still trying to hold her family and church together. We pray for strength, for comfort, and for the awareness of your Holy Spirit in a powerful way. And may her witness and the witness of the church be used by you to reach more and more people for Christ. We pray, Father, for churches uh, through the work of your kingdom around the world and people who serve in various places. We pray for John Christensen. We ask that you would heal him from this eye injury and that you would give him wisdom about his trip to Indonesia to continue working on the Kisar scriptures. We pray for churches around us here. Today we pray for St. Patrick's Church in Belfast, Father Dennis Mancuso. May your blessing rest upon this body of believers as they serve you and as they serve their community. And Lord, we think of the needs that we represent right here. We pray for those who are grieving. We ask for your comforting presence for the families of Ella Woolsey and Jerry Alderman and for Nancy Lucky and her family at the death of her father this week. We pray for your healing grace upon us. We pray today that you would bring your healing grace to Elijah Beardsley and Leonard Watson, to Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Tim Nichols. Bob Brown and Louise Princell for Hudson Hess, for Nancy Cole and Brian Orbacher, Pinger Lingenfelter and Chuck Barrett, for Cheryl O'Brien, Ben King, Doris Asepian and Isla Shea, for Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, 
for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Emily Cricklar and others who are on our minds and our hearts today. Father, we thank you for the freedom that is ours in Christ, the freedom to love and to serve and to give and to offer our lives to you. Be glorified in all that we are and all that we do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We have so much for which to be grateful to God and the offering, giving of our tithes, our offerings, our gifts of generosity are one of the ways in which we can express that. In thanksgiving to God, let me invite you to stand as we sing the doxology in preparation for the ushers to come and receive our gifts. Father, may these gifts truly reflect our hearts. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated.
Let me invite you at this time to um, stand and share a word of greeting with others who, who are here in worship today. Perhaps introduce yourself to someone that uh, you may not know. Good morning. Just want to speak with you for a few minutes about the insert in the bulletin this week regarding the pastoral call vote uh, scheduled for next Sunday. Pastor Wes Oden has served faithfully as our senior pastor uh, here at the Houghton Wesleyan Church for 22 years now. And this year marks the conclusion of his most recent four-year call uh, here to our church. It's my privilege to represent the elders to recommend to you unanimously to extend to Pastor Wes an extended call to our church. The difference between an extended call and a four-year call is that after four years, Wes will still be uh, reviewed, as he was this year, by the elder board um, in conjunction, cooperation with the district office. The difference being that every four years that would continue to happen, but the elders would, would determine at that point whether or not it needs to come back to the congregation for a vote for continued service. In essence, it's, it's a vote of confidence uh, beyond just a four-year call. The vote will take place next Sunday uh, in the lower foyer uh, here at the entrance to the church uh, before and after each of the three services. Uh, so I would strongly encourage you to participate in that uh, if you're here. If you're not here, not able to be here next Sunday and you're a member, uh, absentee ballots are available in the church office. Uh, Patty will have those for you. Those do need to be returned uh, by the end of the week prior to the vote on Sunday. I will be available for any questions if you have any questions uh, for me concerning this, but just wanted to uh, specify what was going on here and and make sure that if you have questions, uh, I'm available for those. Thank you. We have the privilege this morning of welcoming some new folks into the membership of the church. Uh, We had six people who joined in the earlier services. We have a couple joining in this service today, so I'm going to ask them to come and stand here up front. All who are Christians are a part of Christ's church, but there is something, uh, there's a sense in which joining the church, taking this official step, is, is sort of a, uh, a further step of connection with the church. And so we're excited about these folks who are joining today. just wanted to ask them a few questions that uh, we've gone over in the class as well as uh, when they were part of that. But just so you understand uh, their, the desire of their hearts. Do you affirm your loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ? And do you desire for Christ to continue to shape you into his image? 
If so, answer, I do. Do you affirm the core doctrines of historic Christianity and pledge yourselves to the unity of Christ in the diverse group of believers who are the Houghton Wesleyan Church? If so, answer, I do. Do you affirm your allegiance to God and to the church by participating in the life of the church, contributing to the support of the church, and serving the church by using your gifts and abilities as the church fulfills its mission in the world? If so, answer, I do. We have a, some, a couple of elders who are going to introduce these folks to you just to give you a little bit of background uh, as they're coming to join today. It's my great honor and privilege to introduce to the congregation Dr. Floyd Richmond. And you see him here, a lot taller, taller than I am. Uh, you've seen him, he sings in the choir. Uh, Dr. Richmond was born in, in Lexington, Mississippi. Uh, he comes here as a professor of music education. He has an earned doctor's degree from Ball State University. Uh, in, in his spare time, he likes to compose music, and he likes to play the tuba uh, when his hand uh, heals from being broken. But uh, it's a great honor to have him here. Uh, just in case uh, you'd like to know it, he loves ice cream and brownies, and his room is 312 in the music building. And so it's my great honor to welcome you into the, the Houghton Wesleyan Church. God bless you. I have the honor of welcoming Catherine Tiblow to our church. Catherine moved here from Newark, New York, where she was the uh, director of transportation for a school district for 36 years. Um, you possibly will recognize her daughter's name, Shannon Reed, who teaches at Fillmore, and Shannon's husband, Fred, live in this area, which is why Catherine moved here. Catherine has two grandchildren, Emily, who's in junior high, and Jared, who works at Shop and Save and is that friendly guy that checks you out with a big <laughs> smile on his face. Um, Catherine's claim to fame in town is she took Jean Regal's house and remodeled it, and it looks beautiful. She's a talented seamstress, and she is part of our kitchen crew for funeral dinners, and we are so happy to have her here in town. I'd like to ask the members of the church to stand for just a moment and uh, to affirm your commitment. I just have everybody stand. We're all, in, we're all in this together. Do you welcome these folks into the fellowship of the church? Do you commit yourselves to walk with them in love through discipleship and counsel, exhortation and grace, and to join our hearts and lives together in patience, gentleness, and love? If so, answer, we do. Holy Father, we thank you for the church. May your blessing rest upon these who are joining today and we who are part of this fellowship as well. And may our hearts be so united in Christ that we serve you in the freedom and the fullness of Christ. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. After the benediction, I'm going to ask them to come stand back up here. And I want to invite you to take a few moments before you leave to welcome them into the fellowship of the church. Please remain standing for the closing hymn.